Spencer Balper, the T1 of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is John Weisman. For years, uh, in addition to his work as a writer and editor at uh, Variety Magazine, Weisman was, uh, or I guess we could say has been, for years has been the proprietor of Dodger Thoughts. Dodger Thoughts, a blog dedicated, perhaps one could say, to the Dodgers, technically speaking, uh, but also probably to one fan's experience, one man's experience of the Dodgers. More recently, Weissman has found himself, uh, in fact, embedded within the Los Angeles Dodgers organization. He left his job at Variety after taking a position with the Dodgers uh, as that club's director of digital and print content. Digital and print content. conversation that follows, I ask uh, Weissman what a person is who is the director of uh, digital and print content, what that actually entails. Uh, we talk about Vin Scully for quite a bit and how odd it might be to find oneself in the company of a national treasure uh, every so often, or perhaps on a daily basis, however it works, and other uh, matters various and sundry. Uh, yeah, so that's it. That's it. Uh, that's the conversation happens, all 40 minutes of it. It's with John Weissman, currently of the actual real Los Angeles Dodgers. It's Fangraphs Audio, and it begins right now. of it not even for a second so you're actually at the stadium yes i have a nice windowless office in the stadium okay um and periodically i mean you know in other words you can you'll if you'll hear you can hear the organ or you know the stuff on the loudspeakers if there's stuff going on like during the hockey game uh last month you could you would hear it muffled you would hear everything yeah and then but you know, occasionally they're doing work, and it will just start rattling like you're in a steel cage or something. <laughs> now, what sort of uh, – well, first of all, let me say – let me say here are two disclaimers. One is uh, if I get cut off, it's because of my uh, internet connection goes off. Well, I'd say once uh, every 45 minutes. So okay. it, it comes right back, but uh, I always lose a connection. So that's one thing. The other thing is if I ask you a question – because I know that you're in a um, – you're embedded right now. You're embedded with the Dodgers. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So if you if I ask you anything and you don't want to answer, you can just tell me that. Right. That's okay. reasonable. That's Good. reasonable. I mean, I, we're just two guys here, two guys who are going to have a conversation. I don't see anything wrong with that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Nor do I. Which yeah. is why I answered the phone. Yeah. No, so wait a second. So you you. Oh, sorry. The uh, you are um, you're in the stadium. What part of the stadium are you actually at? So I'm on the club level. There's a series of offices on the club level, um, and if if you can envision the suites that face out, that you could, you know, the face out onto the field, and you know that are nicely priced and all that. Yeah, sure. There's a hallway behind those suites to access them, and then behind that hallway are where my set of offices are. Okay, and so you're just doing work, but you and Vin Scully. Side by side, all day. <laughs> yeah, in my dreams. Yeah, right. yeah, you do. But, you um, do yeah, well, that's cool. Yeah. So, um, Vin now knows my name, which was a big throw. Wow. Yeah, John. He had never heard that name before. <laughs> yeah, <right now. laughs> uh, okay, but, but no. So he knows your name. Does he know your face? And does he know? 
that they're attached to. Yeah, him. he's con- yes, he's connected the name with the face. That's I, I think that's what I meant when I said he. Mu- that's that's big. Now that I'm thinking, of, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm gonna I'm gonna go over that in my head. Yeah. No, wait a second. When you see Vin, I, all right. So one time, I had a I had a friend who happened to end up. He was invited to um, like a dinner, I think by the by a playwright named Mac Wellman, who. I, this could be wrong, but I, I, I know that some of the details are going to be accurate. And he was invited to a dinner at the Chelsea Hotel, the, fa- the famous Chelsea Hotel, and where Arthur Miller, I think, also lived. I think he's died. But Arthur Miller came yeah. to the dinner. Um, and this is maybe already – this might be 15 years ago already. But even then, um, my friend was shocked. My friend Justin was he didn't know, like, he didn't really think of Arthur Miller as a real person. He thought of him as, you know, I, um, I mean, Death of a Salesman is uh, woven into the fabric of the uh, this country's, or, you know, the, the arts and letters of the United States. Um, it's it's hard to think of someone actually writing it. Um, and then, and then <laughs> and also, also marrying Marilyn Monroe and also still being alive, all of those things simultaneously. Right. Um, and so when exactly. you when you see Vin Scully, because Vin Scully is a um, national treasure. Um, I it it has it won't stop being surreal ever. I don't think. Right. He's just uh, you see him and you say, well, he's there, but he's because he, you never the amount of time that you've interacted with Vin Scully that you've con- that you've been consuming media that he's essentially providing. Will forever outweigh the amount of time that you see him in person. Yeah, absolutely. Not only that, I mean, when I was young, he was who I wanted to be. Um, good thing I didn't pursue that because he's still being. That. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but for when I was young, I mean, I would say I'm about average height now. But when I was young, I was the smallest kid in my class, and I sort of gave up dreams of being a pro athlete at a pretty early age you know probably by the time I was 10 I was thinking that's probably that's not going to happen for me mm-hmm. and so my ask but I, I fell in love with the, the Dodgers and and in turn Vince Scully and and he seemed like like that I could be now by the way that turned out not to be the case as well I, <laughs> I would not be a good play-by-play announcer I don't think but um you know, before you even under, sort of understand why you like someone so much, I clearly liked Vince Coley a tremendous amount. Like, he just really made an impact on me, and that never went away. It just right. never went away. Now, do you think, and a, you marvel at him. Yeah. Well, now, is that something that you um, – this might be a totally meaningless question, but you, I think you said something to the effect of before you understood why you liked – Things or people you liked Vin Scully, and so do you yeah. ever do you ever do any like reverse engineering of that, or is that a thing that people do? Do you think? I mean, it's an interesting way for me to think about it. To say he he possesses the qualities that I like. Now I just have to figure out what those qualities are. Yeah, uh, to an extent I have, because um, over the years, I mean, especially after I started Dodger Thoughts, um, I've tried to articulate why he's great and then i wrote a book you know about the dodgers and and he was chapter two of that book and again i'm trying to articulate it um and it's basically he 
first of all, his mastery of the skill is unbelievable. Um, and if it were only that, um, that would be quite an accomplishment. But he's he sort of takes it to a level beyond. Um, he takes it to a level of poetry. Now, I'm not a big poetry guy. Well, you just said but, you're about average height, so I assumed that. <laughs> I'm a retired poetry guy. Um, he, it is incredible that he can not only tell you what's going on, but he can make it artistic. I don't know anyone else who really does that. I don't, even among the greats, even among the greats in history, in terms of that profession, I don't know who else makes it art, artistic. I mean, uh, poetic. Chick Hearn, for example, who is the longtime Lakers announcer here, and um probably of equal stature to Vin at the height of his career, at least in Los Angeles, if not nationally. And Chick was clever and funny and, you know, the pinnacle, but he wasn't a poet. He was more like a really uh, well-developed stand-up comic in a way, you know, or something. He, he, he had a really good turn of phrase, but he wasn't a poet. Vin is a poet, and it's, he, he's, incredibly literate, although he claims not to be, because I asked him about that, and he, th- I think he thinks he's an average height. But, you know, he, uh, in what last year was his 64th season with the Dodgers, and he's in his mid-80s, um, and uh, Yasiel Puig came around, and then stepped up his game at, at that age, at age approximately 85, and was capturing Puig, accentuating Puig, not, you know, not taking over the story and not running away from it, you know, he and, and, and doing no work, but just absolutely, he, the thing you were feeling, again, the feeling that maybe you couldn't articulate yourself, uh, Vin was articulating for you. And in the spirit of the moment, it was it was pretty incredible. Yeah, I, so, I yeah, mean, you I, never I, stop being in awe. I no, that's that's probably what the that's the um, the quality he possesses. I think, uh, or one of them, I should say, to which to which I'm drawn is someone who honestly doesn't care about the Dodgers at all. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I've always um, you know since I've subscribed to MLB TV, certainly I've always um, sought out Dodgers games. Uh, you know, on a on a regularish basis, just to to sort of watch it alongside him, and he does have a way. Yeah, right. Like it's, um, it feels as though th- things that he's clearly doing, um, that he's clearly improvising, um, moments where he's clearly speaking extemporaneously, you would not be shocked if they were scripted. But but you also are. Uh, aware of the fact that that would be impossible because he doesn't yeah. know he doesn't know but he has a such composure about him that um he's just able to uh, yeah he's able to to um absorb it consume it and comment upon it and not just not just say what's happening but sort of uh you know give it a, a give it a you know provide context and it, it's a yeah it's a great pleasure yeah, I once did the math. I don't. I'd have to go back and do the math. But if you calculate sixty-five years times, at one point it was one hundred sixty-two games a year. Now it's probably closer to a hundred. Um, sixty-five times 
whatever that amount is, 100 plus times three hours a day. And if anyone has spoken extemporaneously in history <laughs> on the air longer, any human being longer than Vince Coley, I, I can't really think of who that would be. Yeah, I wonder if there's and a, it's like all a, been tough much. Like a Vin Scully of cricket, maybe. <laughs> you know who? Maybe, uh, yeah, I guess who's so. just uh, done test match after test match, you know, five day in five day all day uh, test matches. But that would be uh, yeah. You would really need something like that, unless there was. Well, I mean, of course, the the the, the other. Um, I mean, in, in radio, you find people doing perhaps something like that. Um, it's not precisely the same thing, uh, I, I assume. Uh, certainly, what what relative to the profession, uh, he's doing yeah. that. Now, wait, let me before I, I want to know. You were uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You are your job title is director of digital and print content. That's right. Right. Now, what does that? It. I, I've been led to believe, perhaps uh, by you, either uh, maybe via tweet or maybe uh, it was a Dodger thoughts on your last post there. That this is not necessarily uh, a job that exists in all 30 organizations. Um, well, I couldn't say whether it does or doesn't, but I, I doubt it exists at all 30. I mean, but basically, I mean, I'm sure. Let's put it this way: I would assume most, if not all, organizations have the publication side of it. You know, the, the program. Um, now, the, whether the program, I don't know if some places have gone entirely digital or not, um, but, you know, right now we're still selling a program that you can subscribe to and that you can buy at the ballpark, and um, a lot of more, the majority of my time right now is spent um, trying to really step up that program and uh, making it something people want to buy because essentially you are competing with all the free content that's on the internet. Now we don't charge a lot for that program, but you know we charge more than zero point zero zero for it, yeah. and that immediately becomes a turnoff. So I'm trying to make that into something that really um, uh, is worth the actual uh, commitment, mental commitment that people either coming to the ballpark or looking online would have of like, okay, I'm actually going to spend money to read something. I mean, it's amazing how difficult the concept that is right now um, in the Internet world, but to actually have to pay for content um, but there must be some, is a big leap. Yeah, no, so there must be uh, – I'm sure you're going to know more about this than I do. I assume that you have a, a bit of an advantage insofar as buying a program is sort of part of the – um, baseball experience, right? You come in and you get to, you know, you, you know, not everybody, but it's uh, there's a mythos to it. You buy the program, you sit down, maybe you do, maybe you don't keep score, you know. But there, it's part of the tradition. And of course, generally, people who are pursuing baseball uh, and not a significant majority of them, I would think, at some level, they're deriving pleasure from from the traditional qualities of it. Uh, yes and no. I mean, yes, I think it's part of the mythos of that experience. But you know, there are, you got tons of people walking with smartphones, and for a lot of those people, that's that's become enough for them. 
I mean, it's the same idea as, you know, people I think, I mean, I used to bring a newspaper to the games sometimes. Um, I mean, I always, I personally always viewed a trip to the ballpark as a trip to the ballpark, you know. Yes, I was watching the game, but I also was relaxing there. Whether if I was going there with friends, you know, we were going there to hang out. If I, I more than once went to games by myself, the same way I might go to a park by myself. And so I would bring a newspaper, and I wouldn't feel guilty about reading while I was there at all. Um, I, um, now people have smartphones for that. Um, if they need, you know, you know, that's probably enough to satisfy. Plus the whole Twitter, you know, people following the game on Twitter or what have you. Um, not only are their hands not free to hold uh, a program, their heads aren't free necessarily to read it. Now I, that's what I'm battling against. Now I happen to think that the program we're doing this year is very much worth the read. And it's going to be my job to make sure that's true and sort of convey that message out there. Um, and then on to the side of that, uh, we launched a, an official Dodger blog in January a month ago, and we're you know we're we're adding content to that every single day. It's it's not what Dodger Thoughts was exactly, but it it does a lot of good stuff. It does some stuff that Dodger Thoughts couldn't do. Um, it's obviously not going to be exactly the same because it's not independent, but um, I, I think it's got a lot of value. And so I'm trying to mesh those two together. And so to answer your original question, whether whether 30 organizations have one person doing both those things, I have no idea. But um, it makes sense to me that they, that those two platforms need to sort of be on the same page and, you know, working with each other as opposed to against each other. Is it, um, you know, you were, you, you were a, a self, you were a blogger, um, for the Dodgers for what, 11 and a half years in different in forms? About them, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I assume that, well, you're not an idiot. I mean, you, 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 with, with Dodgers, no, my point is with Dodgers thoughts, you know, you would have, and it's I debatable. think, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue either. I'll only argue one side of it, at least on the air. The, you, you would have a number of personal interludes. Of course, you were also a professional writer at the same time. I think in more than one capacity, but certainly for Variety magazine. Um, right. I guess I, I'm curious because you know, you, Dodger Thoughts, in, on one hand, was um, a document of you know was a record of the, the club, but it was probably more specifically a record of one one young man's interaction with the club, of which you know for which he's been a fan his entire life. And I guess what do you? Um, what do you feel like? Because you mentioned that there's some, you know, there's some differences. What are you sort of? What, what, how are you? I guess uh, do you have to kind of uh, change your instincts a little bit in terms of what goes into it, or is it pretty easy just because you understand the sort of rhetorical demands pl- being placed on it? I think I have a good understanding of what uh, of what my mission is and what my approach is going to be. I mean, and not to bring it back to the beginning, but when I started here and um, knew we'd be starting the blog for the Dodgers. I mean, I basically decided Vin would be my, Vince Coley would be my role model because he's someone who's existed in, in that environment for six and a half decades and is able to articulate himself and, and just 
discuss the many facets of what's going on, in his case, in the game. Um, and there's stuff, you know there's stuff that Vin is thinking that he doesn't say. Um, and at some point, it, it's, it isn't a, I'm not saying it's not an adjustment, because it is. And it's, we live in a world where, you know, Twitter theoretically gives you the opportunity to say every single thought that's in your head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's quite a change. I mean, when I started as a writer, you know, I started as a sports writer before the Internet existed, at least in any practical sense. And so all the only space you had to say something was like maybe your 10-inch story in the newspaper. I mean, that's it. That's all you had. Um, I didn't even have email until 1993 you know, or four. I was several years into my career by then. Um, so there, it's not that they're not trade-offs, but I think there's still such a rich world of things to talk about that again i'm not I'm not worried about not being able that I won't have enough to talk about you know right right sometimes the, the, there's no doubt there's going to be times where I wish I could say something. it's not even like it's a negative thing it's just going to be like you know Dodger thoughts was a specific kind of platform that this that this site dodgerinsider.com, dot com is not um, i've I wrote something kind of personal in i think week two or three of uh, working here, I mean, of, of the blog having been launched. But, um, so I was happy I was able to do that. But, I, I, you know, I'm not going to go uh, deep and dark on the site, you know. Right, right. No, no, no. Yeah, um, and uh, obviously, this, I, it's, um, again, it, there are sort of rhetorical demands and uh, with regard to it. Um, and just like there anything, you're, you know, you're always um, – in any case, you know, Dodger Thoughts had its own sort of rhetorical demands, so they're going to be different. Yeah, and uh, I uh, well, I forgot, I lost my train of thought there for a second. But basically, I feel pretty, I feel pretty good about what the potential is, given the fact that we've already gotten off to a pretty good start, and and we haven't even gotten spring training yet. Yeah, that's exciting. Um. And that's good for you, so you can keep your job. Yes. I mean, the weird thing about the job right now is just that I'm spending, I mean, most of my day is spent on that magazine with the anxiety that all this great content, um, I'm, you know, I want people to see it, and they're only going to see most of it if they buy it. And that, in this day and age, is um, sort of a tenuous place to be. Um all I can say is that if you have enough interest in the Dodgers to to go to the website, then you're going to want to read the magazine just because there's really there's really going to be a lot of good stuff in there. Um, and you know, it, it amazes me. I I look at the prices for beer at a ballpark at any ballpark, and they seem really high to me, like seven, eight, nine, ten dollars for a beer. And yet, I see people buying beers obviously all the time and yet i for example the book i wrote about the dodgers you could get at amazon for 1095 and you'd have that for the rest of your life <laughs> <laughs> and and people people don't want to spend it so i feel like if i could somehow crack the magazine beer yeah. uh, equation then we'd be in great shape if you could somehow if the 
if the magazine would get people drunk as they read it. Right. <laughs> I mean, or at least, or at least help them with, uh, you know, uh, social inhibitions or whatever, responsibly, of course, but um, you know, not to any extreme. Uh, but helpfully. Don't drive and read the book. But, don't, yeah. yeah. Well, don't drive and read. That's a good point. Don't drive and read. Yeah. You shouldn't do that. Um, yeah, that might be. Uh, that would be one way. I don't know. I don't know if this helps you, but I know that Charles Baudelaire uh, wrote a poem. Um, he was. This guy was a big poet. I mean, he was physically. He was of an average size, but uh, or maybe even slightly smaller than that. But he was a big gun in terms of French poems. And he said, uh, "Always be drunk on something, you know, whether it's uh, wine or love or poetry." Maybe he said. So maybe uh, maybe you can find a way so that it uh, yeah recreates the experience. That it, um, oh man, I'm drunk after reading that Dodgers magazine. Drunk with happiness. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure you could do but, it. Uh, yeah, and just and then just have to make sure the kids don't. That's true. Don't yeah, right. Affect the planet. That would make that would make it that would make it more interesting to kids if it was like if it was only on sale for people eighteen and over. Kids would really want it then. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you, right. you well, you have kids. Uh, well, you're although are yeah. your kids like super like responsible and well behaved generally speaking. You know, um, outside outside of our. House, yes. Okay, yeah, right. Inside of our house, in our presence, not at all. Not at all, yeah. No, that's right, yeah. Well, I remember I was actually, uh, um, in preparation for this conversation, I was I was revisiting our last one, and uh, uh-huh. a lot of that had to do, we talked about fatherhood uh, quite a bit, and uh, because you had just written a post of Dodger Thoughts regarding um, uh, F- uh, Phil Dumphy from Modern Family as, right. a, as an aspirational model of fatherhood. Um, and, uh, you, you talk about your daughter, you say, uh, she's so like responsible in school, maybe even to a fault. Um, but then, uh, she'll, t- uh, you know, address you and your, and your wife in, uh, uh, entirely different terms sometimes. And you say, why are you doing, why are you doing that? You wouldn't talk to uh, your teacher that way. And, uh, but then again, that's, that's what, all correct. Yeah. That's what, that's what family's for though. They're the one, they're the people you're allowed to terrorize because they have to, not, I mean, not technically by law, but sort of by the law of the, you know, the universe. They're sort of bound to love you. And I understand that intellectually. And <laughs> at some, and when I'm calm, I'm able to sort of take solace that we are enabling, like we have created an environment where the kids are sort of free to be their. This is this isn't the word I want to use, but free to be their worst selves yeah. in our presence, and. In turn, there's a payoff in that when they go out into the world, they seem to be doing pretty well. Um, they're still very young; they're five, nine, and eleven, so there's still a lot, a lot to go from here. But um, at the same time, it would be nice to see them apply that to us a little bit more as sort of just a nice thing. Yeah, and. Um, I do still fight that battle um, because it's not an intellectual battle. It's an emotional one. <laughs> but uh, you, you you know, you take what you can get. Yeah, right. Well, it's oh, – yeah. I mean um, I, have no, I have no advice for you. But I do remember having parents. <laughs> I, still, I still have them. I have uh, four of them, I guess. And uh, um, they uh, – it was like a – like a scientific experiment. That's why I have four parents. 
Uh, I don't know that some of them are biological, maybe. But we, um, mm. we, um, uh, yeah, you never, uh, you never appreciate them. Uh, you don't really think of them as people uh, for the longest time. Uh, your parents, which I guess right. I don't know, probably it's good for some ways, but. Um, well, you think, uh, I mean, you have, they, I think you, they're just supposed to do what they're, they're supposed to take care of you. And they're supposed to take care of you no matter what. Um, so, well, if they're supposed to take care of you no matter what, then what? Why not just uh, be whatever you need to be? For whereas in contra- I'm in contrast, uh, the teacher at school does not is not required to give you a good grade. Right, is not required to keep you out of the principal's office. Is not required to like you. Is not required to love you. Um, friends certainly are not required to like you. Yeah, especially um, as they, you give them. To- yeah, well, you, your children are getting towards uh, a middle school. And uh, that sort yeah. of area, and that's a uh, that's it. That's a uh, that's a hard thing to navigate, too. Yeah. yeah, and I'm not trying to give the impression that they are all evil all the time in my house. It's just that you know, there's usually something going on. Yeah, right. Um, let me ask you about um, variety. How things ended up there, uh, or I guess m- more than that, like um, you've had. Well, when did you when did you leave Variety? A couple months ago. I left uh, December 6th was my last day. December 6th was your last day. So you've had uh, two months almost exactly now, uh, I guess, to to reflect on that. I don't know if that's significant enough. I don't know I don't know what amount of time is ideal for reflecting on it. But your job, well, it was a number of things, but I mean, I, a big part of it, I think, was covering television, right? Yeah. Um, it, was t- it was basically I was hired as a features editor there. Um, my role shifted quite a bit over time. I mean... Every couple of years, it would shift in some direction, and so I had I when I was hired as a features editor, I was ninety percent editing stories about film and TV. Then, when the recession came and we had layoffs and everyone had to sort of pull double duty, I started writing more. Um, in that case, about TV and doing more reporting about TV, and then also doing more copy editing. And then in 2012, I became awards editor, which meant my focus was, as a writer, was on the Emmys and the Oscars and all the and the Golden Globes and all those shows. And uh, that more or less was my focus until the end. Although um, I sort of shifted into more of a senior editor role last year. Um, so which meant a little bit less writing in my final uh, probably six to nine months there. Right. Although I did notice that uh, you there was a, as, as you might find in, in newspapers too, there was um, your author image, the, the author image was the sort of uh, pencil drawing uh, that one finds, uh, you know, next to uh, editorials or um, in, uh, you know, a big daily papers. Yeah, we, we had a makeover of the print because Variety was a daily publication, you know, for about 100 years. And uh, we went to a weekly in March of 2013. And in that process, there was a huge, huge makeover of Variety, and they went with those, uh, I 
guess, Wall Street Journal style, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, mugshots. Mug drawings. Mug drawings, yeah. I guess well, the way, if you got arrested in 1700, that would have been your mugshot. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, it, it reeks of class. In a great way, yeah. The, um, um, but I'm curious what you, so, I, I, I would not say that, um, I'm deep within the throes of this debate, but I've been considering it perhaps more strongly than recently, which is to say, certainly growing up high school, college, um, I would have been, um, I was probably anti-populist in terms of my literary preferences, right? Um, uh, always, uh, you know, in, upon entering a bookstore or library, going, you know, for the uh, um, you know, the literature section, and uh, preferably older and more and or more obscure, uh, one or the other. Um, mm-hmm. And while simultaneously, I'd say. If not, if holding not in contempt, then at least uh, eyeing suspiciously forms like the sitcom, for example. Um, my, I would say that um, since then, though, my opinions have, or maybe more recently, my opinions have maybe more than mellowed towards the sitcom, and th- that's partly perhaps because the form, uh, well, both you know the television sitcom and also just the this sort of uh, the serial television show at this point, um, you know, which is produced like, you know, The Wire, for example, is probably the number one example, but um, there seems to be a lot more creative latitude as far as those shows are and more ambition maybe. Um, but also just, um, I know that my wife and I, we watch, always we watch one program during dinner and uh, it's a ritual that I've, um, for which I've, you know, developed a great deal of affection. And so I've, I have all these positive associations, and I think that the way that the sitcom, you know, on the one hand you could say it's mere entertainment, but on the other hand it's sort of uh, – I think anything that helps people get through the day is has got to be viewed as um, something good. And I'm curious though if um, – you may not have started with the same prejudices, but I'm curious if uh, you sort of left with any la- lasting impressions on the role of uh, the sitcom or television, positive or negative. Um, I've always had positive feelings towards television. Um, I had my own TV uh, in I, in my own bedroom at age five. Uh, so I I'm a TV kid. Um, my mom was the mom that basically let us watch TV. And I remember one day it was a shock when she actually said, "You know, maybe you're watching too many cartoons." And, and you, you were sort of thought, you were it was like a, is that right? You were saying, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I was 10, but it was just sort of like, it was, by that, it was so ingrained in me to be watching TV a lot that um, I actually stepped back and, and reduced my cartoon watching just because, well, if she's alarmed, then, you know, she's never alarmed about any of that stuff. <laughs> so, um, and I've always found value out of it. I mean, my brother introduced me to Hill Street Blues when I was, um, I'm going to say, 11. And uh, that basically, you know, watched that all the way through high school, and that basically cemented what a drama can mean for me. I watched I Love Lucy from the very beginning and The Brady Bunch, and I literally, at age seven, cried when I read that The Brady Bunch was canceled. And I could still picture the newspaper article in the Times that um, said that was happening. And 
because it was, it's almost like w- with baseball, the first team, the first time you start watching baseball and you sort of connect with a team, you don't really realize that those players come and go. They are just there. They are the Dodgers, for example. And the idea that one of them could go away, I think Bill Buckner was the one for me when he was traded for Rick Monday. Um, I was like, it, I didn't realize that could happen. Um, and it was the same thing with TV. So anyway, to ma- making a short story long here. Yeah, yeah no, um, continue doing it. It's fine. It's fine. But um, and then and then of course I you know I became interested in writing. And then by the time not it wasn't when I was young, but when I was about twenty five was when I start, decided I wanted to try to write for TV and the movies. Um, and so that brought a whole new perspective to it because I it, to me this was a vehicle that. Um, where I could sort of get get my stuff out, <laughs> you know, get my internal stuff out, and uh, I, you know, the past several years and with the rise of cable shows, I mean, that's just been incredible stuff, and I'm I've never not had enough to watch. I've always had too much, um, and it's and that's even given the fact that variety enabled that to be to a large extent, part of my job was watching TV and going to movies. Um, and it, one of the big shocks about Variety and moving from there to here is, you know, I, I was going to, I was seeing 60 to 80 movies a year. And this year I'll, I'll probably see six to eight. You know, it's a big difference. I'm just, I'm not going to make it to the movies anymore. Um, there's, and I liked being in that world. I, I really enjoyed interviewing people in the entertainment world. I didn't find them shallow. Um, they, I mean, I'm not saying they, none of them were, but I, you could get into really interesting conversations with them. And I, there's a lot of stuff about variety that I will miss. Um, that being said, I have, apparently got such a deep interest in the Dodgers and what they do that even the boring stuff, the stuff that should be boring here is not boring to me. Whereas at Variety, there was some stuff that I really, like anything reality TV related, I I always sort of, you know, had to drag myself to cover. Um, whereas with this, like even the nitty-gritty stuff, I still... I'm still interested in in what's going on, and so that part of it has been uh, really kind of cool. I, like I haven't needed caffeine at this job; I just haven't needed it because I'm sort of I'm pretty wired by what's uh, by what I have to do right now. Maybe that'll change over time, but right now I'm I'm just pretty locked in. And uh, with variety, the good stuff was really good, but you know, the the part of TV or movies that was a wasteland, um, that segment of it, that was that could be a bit of a drag sometimes. And that was something that, yeah, and of course, anytime uh, you're forced to cover something, are you going to have a situation now where uh, because you are, um, uh, where writing if about and uh, thinking about baseball is your actual job now, where you'll be you'll be starting a blog dedicated to television industry uh, to yourself? I would ask myself that question, actually, and that's the thing. It's like while I was always 
wanting to sort of keep writing about the Dodgers while I was with Variety, it's not the opposite. I mean, and it's partly it's partly timing. If it were ten years ago, and I had if I had been working at the Dodgers ten years ago, I probably would um, want to do an entertainment blog. I did start one. Actually, twice in my life, I've started entertainment blogs on my own, and then with Variety, I was doing it for them. I was blogging for them. But um, I, I'm, I don't know that I have that much to add on the entertainment side. I always felt I had stuff to add on the Dodger side. But you know, with guys like Alan Sepinwall, um, I really don't feel like I have anything to add. If I were any spare time, I don't have any spare time right now. But any spare time I I have, I would probably spend. I would probably spend trying to create something, uh, trying to write a book or trying to write a script or something like that. Right. Rather than blog about entertainment. Right, 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 right. Huh. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, uh, John Weissman, it's been a pleasure to uh, see what you're doing with your life. I'm glad to share. I was glad to do this. It sounds exciting, uh, the fact that you're involved in this new project and you're uh, able to... uh, Spend so much time and proximity to think about what you care. That's not a not everybody gets that. Yeah, no, it's pretty amazing. I have to say, um, and I was nervous about it because there's the whole turning your hobby into your work fear and what it'll do to you. But so far, so good. Right. All right. Well, here, stick around for one second uh, because. Uh, well, I mean, I'm going to say we'll say goodbye to the audience to the to the listeners. Uh, but uh, then just stick around, we'll talk, and then you can go do whatever you do with your life. Okay. All right, that's John Weissman. Wait, sorry, Weisman or Weissman? Weissman. Weissman. It's John Weissman, I guess currently of the Dodgers, the actual Los Angeles Dodgers. That's thank right. You. Yeah, thank you. John. Current, the actual ones. Yeah, the actual ones. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> All right, that's John uh, Weissman. I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.